What's your favorite room in your home and why? My favorite room is without a doubt my kitchen, partly because the light in there in the morning is just really special, really magically, but mostly because the kitchen was a nightmare when we moved in and we did a huge renovation. And I think anyone who's done a big renovation understands that like once it's done, there's no way you can't be so happy with that room. What's the biggest design faux pas? Biggest design mistake that someone could make is doing what they think they quote unquote should do or following trends too closely if they don't absolutely love them themselves because design is all about self-expression. So if you're doing what someone else is telling you to do rather than what your heart is telling you to do, then you're not going to be happy with your space. If you're on a budget, what's the most important accessory to add to a room? I have a secret and it's faux flowers. Honestly, even the ones from Michael's, unless you're up close really looking at them, they're a great and inexpensive way to brighten a room, bring a little life, and they're not gonna die after three days. Okay, so then I guess that sort of leads to our next question. What's the best indoor plant for looks and ease? My favorite indoor plant is a little tree called an Audrey ficus. It's part of the fig tree family, but it doesn't have the big waxy looking leaves that a lot of the fig trees we think of have. It's more like a petite, kind of delicate, soft gray leaf. Every time I post a picture of mine on Instagram, I get a zillion questions about what kind of tree it is. Ooh, I can't wait to look that up. What's your favorite design TV show? I do not watch design TV. I'm a really just like, Reality TV or any kind of DIY TV is not my jam. For me, TV is all about escaping, not thinking more about work. (laughs) (laughs) That makes perfect sense, yeah. So I love, you know, like a good British crime drama over design TV any day. Hey, Chedra. Hey, Julie. So today on the show, we are chatting with Anne Sage. After graduating from Stanford, Anne found herself living in New York City working as a consumer strategist, but wasn't quite sold on that lifestyle. With a strong interest in design and all things pretty, Anne began her blog in 2008, and the rest is history. Anne went on to co-found Rue Magazine, as well as a beautiful, successful event studio in Los Angeles called Light Lab that is used for marketing and advertising projects with brands like Food Network, Disney, and Lay's. Currently, Anne splits her time between maintaining her own social platforms and offering client services in art direction and photo styling, interior design, and social media consulting. She lives in Southern California with her husband and their four pets. You're listening to We Get to Know Podcast, and for years, we've all been following some of the most inspiring creatives, innovators, social media influencers, and bloggers. Simply put, we get inspired. The next best thing to following our favorite people is hearing their story straight from them. So listen in as we get to know Anne. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the show today. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to talk to you today. And before we get into the conversation, I'm curious, how did you get into British comedy? (laughs) I grew up in Canada. And... I think that we just would always get a lot of BBC shows there. And as well, my ex-husband was like Aussie slash Canadian. And so there's just a greater awareness of all Commonwealth media when you're living in one of those countries. So we would get really super into shows like Prime Suspect or, gosh, I mean, I'm blanking on the names of, of others right now, but I love British crime drama. I love kooky comedies. And the great thing is that now Netflix has started picking up a lot of BBC shows for streaming. And so I can get my fix that way. Oh, that's nice. So I am asking you this because I lived in London right after college and I thought I could not, I mean, I'm not a big TV person, but I just thought there was, I could not get into British TV at all. Yeah. It's like, I remember, so I grew up partly in the U.S. and partly in Canada. And I remember when we moved to Toronto when I was about 11. And it took us a while to really understand the Canadian sense of humor. (laughs) Right. Well, I was almost going to say you had to have some sort of background in TV. (laughs) I wasn't there quite long enough to um, watch it enough to really get that. But I just, every time I turn it on, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm turning it off. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's it's a lot less in your face. I mean, I think the the British office is a great example, right? Like 
that type of humor now in the U.S. has become more common, that very uncomfortable, not sure this makes sense kind of humor. That's so typical of of British comedy. Tedder, you may have to jump in. Who is the comic who does the news show that is so funny? Oliver, not Jamie. Do you know who I'm talking about? He does a weekly news show, and he's British, and he is so... Oh, John Oliver. John Oliver. John Oliver. Do you ever watch him? Oh yeah, absolutely. And he used to he used to be like mostly radio and oh, he had okay. podcast and yeah, he's always been super funny. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to see where that British love of TV came, came from. From <laughs> growing up in Canada. Okay, got it. Okay, so you grew up in Canada and then what I know you went to Stanford. You graduated from Stanford. How did you get to California? What was that like? Well, so as I mentioned, I was I was born here in the States and lived here until I was 10. And my, my mom and dad are university professors, so we moved around a lot. That's one of the things about being a child of academics is you kind of end up going wherever their jobs take you. So I was born in Davis, California, and my whole extended family is also American. We're just this weird outlier that ended up <laughs> And my parents now are Canadian citizens and my sister is a Canadian citizen, but I left for college right after high school and foolishly never applied for my Canadian citizenship. And now I would have to go through the whole process of getting sponsored by my parents and having a long residency there first. And uh, even then the idea sounds very attractive given our current political climate, but um, I, I kicked that I never got Canadian citizenship before leaving. But my grandfather actually is also a Stanford graduate. So certainly the school was very much part of my consciousness as I was growing up. And I was sort of never planning on going to college in the States. I was going to go to a little liberal arts school on the East Coast of Canada. And then I think someone from the Harvard club in Toronto came to speak to my high school class and was like, you should consider applying to the U S and this was in the fall of my senior year. And I was like, Oh, I guess maybe I could take the SAT. See what happens. And I love standardized tests. Like I love bubbling in the little answer cards. So I had, yeah, I'm a total freak of nature. Absolutely. I was just going to say, I don't think I've ever, ever in my life, talk to somebody who has said, I love standardized tests. You have to remember though, that like when I left for Canada, when I was 11, I'd only gotten a small taste of standardized tests and then they don't really do those in Canada. So for me, it was just, you know, these happy memories of bubbling in answers in the third grade and then leaving that for, for eight or however many years. So then it came time to type the SATs and I was like, this is a blast. I love these analyses. I love I love these fill in the blanks. What fun! Really well on the SATs and applied to a few U.S. schools and got into Stanford and and at that point it, it you know my family all was telling me you would be really really stupid not to go so I did. So just out of curiosity, when you are applying for Canadian universities, there's no standardized test to get in. To my knowledge now, there still isn't. Certainly when I was going through the process, I guess 15 or however many years ago, more than that now, geez. Yeah, it was your grades and that was actually kind of it. There was just one central application process that would then get distributed to all the schools. It was, it could be harder now. I don't know. I can't speak to what it's like now, but almost 20 years ago, it was pretty straightforward and also way more affordable. Well, as a strong dislike of standardized tests, um, I would have loved to know that about Canadian schools. <laughs> and actually lots of, lots of Canadian colleges certainly have a, a strong U.S. population yeah. because the quality of the education right. is great. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what did you study at Stanford? My degree was in English and history. I managed to create an interdisciplinary program for myself. And my particular area of interest was 17th and 18th century British and American literature and history. So how how the two kind of interacted. I'm always so interested in how historical events influence literature and vice versa. So going into college, did you have that kind of niche already formed or did you discover that at school? No, no. 
I went into college thinking I was going to be a doctor, not because I particularly wanted to be a doctor, but because that was what it seemed like a smart person should become. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. So, you know, coming from an academic background as I did, my parents are scientists, they're botany professors. And so for them, a career has always been a pretty linear thing. Go to undergrad, go to grad school, get a PhD, get tenure, boom, done. So for for them, and when I first started becoming interested in studying English and the humanities, they were understandably worried because it was very different from what they had done. And they were concerned that I wouldn't be able to make a living. And I mean, the truth is that what I do now has very little to do with what I studied. Well, I was just going to say, let's just hop right into it. What did your parents think when you oh, well, when I told them when I told them that I was going to start taking creative writing classes and and stop taking science classes, there was definitely some concern. I think more from my mom than my dad. My dad's always been a pretty easygoing guy about that stuff, but my mom for sure is a catastrophizer, and she so immediately went into, "Oh my God, you're going to be poor for the rest of your life. What are you going to do with an English degree?" <laughs> but but I've gotten a C plus in organic chemistry, and it was wow. the fortuitous experience of my life even getting a C plus, and so you know, they say organic chemistry is how they weed out the non-doctors. And it was very... That was your goodbye ticket. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, no more, none. (laughs) Well, I can one up you with the English degree. Your parents were worried. I had a degree in philosophy and both of my parents thought that this is not going to end well. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. (laughs) Okay. So after college, what did your life look like? Where did you go from there with your degree? So I finished school with with this English and history degree, but also had taken some just like art and design classes. And even when I was young in middle school and high school, my mom and I loved to decorate together and cook together and entertain together. And Martha Stewart was my hero. And because of all of this, I was convinced that of course I should go to interior design school and become an interior designer. So, so, so I moved to New York City where I had gotten into the interior design program at the Pratt Institute. And I was there for about six or eight weeks before realizing pretty clearly that I did not want to be an interior designer, in particular because I hadn't really done much research on that program. And it's it's a very technical program. It's very kind of interior architecture driven. And so for someone like me coming from loving pretty things and design history, but not so much caring about space planning and and all of the technical stuff, it just was not a great fit. Plus, I think I was tired of being a student. I was poor living in New York and I just wanted to get a job and start my life. So I, I left that program and got an internship at a, a little ad agency in New York And that was a huge learning experience, getting to work both with the consumer strategy side of things and also the graphic design side of things. And I think that's where the two parts of my brain that love, you know, thinking and problem solving and listening to people and understanding their needs and then translating them into something visual, that's where that really got got honed. But then simultaneous to that, of course, I still wanted to be Martha Stewart. So I was applying to every single job posting that Martha Stewart Living posted, whether I was qualified or not. I was just like, yep, I'm applying for this one. I'm applying for this one. And and I didn't even get an interview because the thing about publishing is if you don't have the relationships, you're kind of right. And so that's when I started my blog. A mentor suggested that this is something people are doing just for fun and maybe as a running resume and as a creative outlet. And that was in 2008. So Martha Stewart never got back to you? You know, she still hasn't called. I mean, that is just rude. (laughs) (laughs) But my my wedding was in Martha Stewart Weddings last December. So I do feel a little... It came full circle. Look at that. (laughs) That's really funny. Okay, so you started this blog in what year? 2008? Yeah. So, so that was pretty early on in the blog, right? In the blog world? Yeah. There's a little cluster of us OG bloggers that are still going. Who, I love it. 
I think we've talked to a few that started around that time and it's pretty, it almost seems when they talk about it, like very archaic in, you know, just, just the, you know, the, the mindset into getting into it. Right. Yeah. I was like, when I was your age. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Okay. So you started out, obviously your creative writing courses paid off because I'm sure you've you know, honed your skills since 2008, but I love reading your blog. I think that you, well, first of all, it's very clear that you put a lot of work into it. Thank you. But you have amazing articles and on so many different subjects, which I love. Yeah. I think that the blog really at the end of the day is just an excuse for me to stay interested in all the things that excite me, which is a little bit of everything. And I've always been someone who sees connections between maybe seemingly unrelated things and those connections really excite me and, and inspire me. And I think that different disciplines can inform each other so beautifully. Hey guys, we're going to pause for a minute to tell you about one of our partners. Anyone interested in 30% off the best vitamins? We know health and nutrition is important to everyone. One thing that goes hand in hand with our health is supplemental care. We've partnered with Dr. C Vitamins to offer you a 30% discount off their premium pharmaceutical grade and medically endorsed line of supplements. All vitamins are not created equal. In fact, there is no FDA oversight for supplements. Unlike over-the-counter vitamins, Dr. C supplements are manufactured without commonly found synthetic ingredients. I mean, you guys, who wants synthetics going into our bodies? They're also non-GMO and gluten-free. Their standards are so high, these vitamins are actually manufactured just like a prescription drug would be in an FDA-registered facility. Most vitamins do not subject themselves to this level of oversight. People are always asking if we take these personally, and we do. I take the D3K2 combo to support bone health, memory, mood, and immune support, and their collagen biotin that supports strong hair, nails, and skin. And then when I'm having those nights where I'm having a hard time falling asleep and unwinding, I take the melatonin B6 combo, and it really helps me gently fall asleep naturally. So give them a try, you guys. Go to drccares.com, use our code WEGETTONOW, and save 30% on your next order. Now enjoy the rest of the interview. So blogging then took you to, I read on your website, you co-founded Rue Magazine. Yes. So about two years into blogging, I reached a point where it just felt like I was kind of regurgitating other people's content, which wasn't even a word we had then. Content wasn't, (laughs) you know. What was it called? Like, how did you articulate that? Because that is interesting. I mean, content creator is... I would have at the time just said, I feel like I'm just posting other people's pictures. Yeah. Which was true. I would just go pull images from you know, interiors, photography sites, or I would scan copies of magazines and talk about those images. I reached a point where I wanted to be creating my own work more. So I started styling actually for wedding blogs because then as now, wedding blogs just have this huge machine to feed of new ideas. And so they were always just publishing anything that that you sent them. So I I styled some, you know, tabletops and fashion shoots for the wedding world. And that's when my co-founder at Rue, Crystal, kind of took notice of what I was doing and said, oh, I've I've got this idea. I'm thinking of starting an online magazine. Do you want to be involved? And it went from that little seed of a conversation to eventually we started it together. That's pretty incredible. And are you still par- are are you still active in it? I'm not. No, I I left after two years. My personal life kind of fell apart. <laughs> so so after two years at the magazine, it was kind of like, all right, I I think I need a fresh start altogether here. And and Crystal took it and ran with it from there. Well, nice. I've been following Room Magazine for years and. What a great source, I think, for all things. I just think it's such a great content generator of of everything that is like so beautiful and I love to read it. And so kudos to your um, earlier days in it. Thank you. Okay, so then I want to talk about Light Lab. You're just like a, a, I mean, all these different ideas that are reborn and it's pretty amazing. So tell us about Light Lab. I realized lately I'm a starter, not a maintainer. (laughs) I love to get things off the ground. And then once they're humming along, I'm like, this is boring. What do I do next? But so with Light Lab, 
that we're coming up on three years of having the lease at Light Lab. And what it is, is it's a creative studio and event space in East Los Angeles, which is where I live. And I started it with my two very dear friends, Caroline and Jaden Lee. And I actually met Caroline and Jaden on set for a shoot for Rue years and years ago. And we stayed great friends. We've traveled together and we have just a lot of the same values. So we, we work really well together. And we reached a point a, a few years ago where we felt like we wanted to have a physical space because we had only, you know, there's only so much you can do when you're working from home. Mm-hmm. And that's when we started putting out feelers to see if there were any warehouses or studios up for lease. And sure enough, we found this space. It's 2000 square feet. And it was a disaster. It was just an absolute mess. It had been a a machine shed and then it was abandoned. And then there were squatters there. Also, we are pretty sure that they filmed adult movies there at some point. (laughs) evidence but also there's a clause in our lease that we're not allowed to film pornography there and that's sort of an unusual clause so it leads us to believe that our landlord had some issues in the past okay. <laughs> and that did not make you not want to sign that lease I guess right yeah, we, were, we were just full steam ahead at that point <laughs> <laughs> so what we did was we gutted the whole thing and we did this huge build out that took nine months. And one of the things that we really put into the the concept of the space was that we ourselves had been to so many events with brands and companies we admired. And the expectation would be that we would share these events on Instagram, but they would often be in locations that weren't especially photogenic. And we thought to ourselves, what if there was a place where people could host events and brands could have activations and, you know, influencer lunches and what have you. And every little corner of the space was thought out and Instagram worthy. And so that's one of the the driving principles behind the space. And because both Caroline and I have pretty sizable Instagram followings, we were able to promote the space and get a steady stream of renters right from the bat without having to do any kind of paid marketing or advertising. And we've been booked up steadily ever since. And the sad irony is that because we rent it to other people so much, we never work out of there ourselves. (laughs) Well, so was that the original idea that you wanted to work out of the space? It was going to be our day-to-day workspace. And I think also what I discovered is that I really like working from home and I don't regret that that I don't go there every day to work because, you know, I'm talking to you in my bathrobe right now and that's a pretty sweet (laughs) Yes, that is a sweet deal. Okay, well, I think that is amazing. I did read that you basically did no advertising or marketing and you've just rented out the space on a pretty consistent basis by word of mouth. And you've had some amazing projects there. Yeah, we have both our own and just seeing what other people do with it. I think that's one of the really fun things is being, and I love this about Rue too, just being a platform or a, you know, holding the space, whether online or in the physical world for other people to come create their own magic. I'm very much about community and enabling and empowering others in their creative process. And so that's a really cool thing about Light Lab. Right. I'm sure y'all are getting inundated with so many requests to film there. Do you, how do you kind of shuffle through who you want, what you want, what kind of aesthetic, or does that even matter? I mean, people that come to you obviously love your space because it is really beautiful, but I mean, you've gotten some really good brands and clients in there. Yeah. I think that we are fairly selective. We started out at the beginning renting to just anyone and learned pretty quickly that we're not interested in being a place where people have weddings or birthday parties or baby showers because that's just... I find that people are in a different mindset when they're in party mode versus, oh, this is a work event. Right. <laughs> We've learned so much about people's quirks and tendencies through this. <laughs> tell you what, and it's that's what <laughs> <laughs> So now, you know, we'll check in. What's the shoot? What's the event? Just as a heads up, we only do commercial events, you know, that, that sort of language. And we also let people know that the, the capacity of the space isn't huge. So we're not doing shoots that have a crew of a hundred or anything like that. And 
it ends up being pretty self-selective and we've been fortunate that some pretty cool projects have wanted to be a part of it. And then also, I think something we're really proud about is that we we have let nonprofits shoot there either for a, a totally waived fee or a pretty healthy discount. For example, Planned Parenthood shot a bunch of stuff there a couple weekends ago and we didn't build them for that. So it's a really nice way to be able to give back to causes we care about using a resource that we already have. And so that's, that's really rewarding. And I saw one of your projects that was filmed there was the Food Network with Scabby Cooking and I love her. Yeah. She's great. Oh my gosh. She's such fun. And that was really neat to see them shooting there. But I will say that was one of the shoots where afterwards we were like, all right, we definitely need to limit crew size for, for their sake, because feedback we got from them was we had 40 people on set and you only have one bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so, so gosh, 40 people for one shoot. That's pretty crazy. Oh my gosh. Her shoot was so major. It was epic. They set up like trailers in the parking lot where they were doing all the prep food and it was massive. It was really huge. It was cool to see. Yeah. Well, too, one thing I do love about your space, it's unique, but it also is kind of a very, it will suit a broad range of brands, I think. I mean, you can kind of go in there and do, make it your own, but it's not just this blank canvas either. I mean, I think y'all did a really good job of designing the interiors after the porn, (laughs) after the porn um, (laughs) movie industry failed. (laughs) Okay. So you live in LA with your husband, Ivan and four pets. What are the pets? I know one's a cat. We have two cats and two dogs. The cats are Sophie and James Bond and he's called James Bond because he's always wearing a tuxedo. Seriously? Well, you know, his fur is a tuxedo cat. (laughs) (laughs) If I put him in a cat-sized tuxedo, that was cute. And then we have two dogs, Rambo, who Ivan has had since even before we were together, and and Sadie, who only answers to the name Tiny Dog, because when we got her, we started calling her Tiny Dog, and, and now she thinks that's her name. Oh, that's cute. So how did you end up in LA? Well, I was living in San Francisco, and... I think I mentioned earlier that my personal life fell apart and that basically was, you know, a separation which led to a divorce and it felt like some location distance. separation. <laughs> yeah, some physical distance. Yeah. And I had built a really nice network of friends and colleagues down here in LA just as a result of doing Rue. So it felt like a welcoming place to to spring to and lick some wounds and do some navel gazing and I've been here ever since. I love LA, partly because I think I'm in a better place in my life here than anywhere else I've lived. But also, it's just a great city. There's always something to discover, always new things happening. And the creative community is really thriving and welcoming here. Yeah. So you mentioned your difficult time. And I was reading, I can't remember where in your blog post, but you talked about having some, it it was related to travel and some travel anxiety. And I love what you just said about your, part of why you love LA, maybe that you're in a better place. And one thing that struck me when I was reading your article was that you were in Venice and everything kind of fell apart based on (laughs) this anxiousness that you were feeling even prior to leaving. And that you said that I thought like, just stuck to me so well was that you I think after you got home, you realized what the kind of defect was that you had abandoned your protocol for how you care for yourself. I mean, you had Mm -hmm. this protocol kind of set up and you kind of threw it out the window. Yeah, definitely. My ongoing challenge is self-care. And that's largely because I'm just very driven and ambitious and very outwardly focused. And so for me to just sit still and take care of myself it's really hard and it feels like I'm wasting time or I'm not being productive. And it's not even a conscious thought. It's like this compulsion almost. Mm -hmm. So doing my self-care checklist, if if I'm going to function in the world as a nice human to be around, (laughs) (laughs) I think that that taking care of myself and, and, you know, this is like, pop wisdom at this point right that 
oxygen mask on first. Exactly. And I know it's such a cliche, but you're right. I mean, we, yeah, <laughs> but actually doing it for me is really, really hard. And certainly I know for a lot of the women entrepreneurs and creatives in, in my circle, it's, it's a challenge. Well, and given to that you are, you know, self-proclaimed compulsive overachiever and perfectionist and, you know, so on. I think that is even harder, you know, to dive into self-care versus trying to get everything on your to-do list going or, you know, whatever that may look like. But I think it's, it's even harder for the perfectionist to look inward in a lot of ways. I agree with that completely in part because the self-care checklist starts to become another to-do list. Right. And it starts to become something that also needs to be done perfectly. (laughs) So, you know, the thing about my neuroses is they're not discriminating. Like they'll get all over everything. (laughs) They always do, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So kind of in this vein, you said something, you had a quote or saying on one of your stories or on your feed that I loved. And it's how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah, that's a favorite of mine for sure. I mean, that is incredible. I've never, I mean, I I get that. So like something in that resonates so deep in my bones for whatever reason. But how did you kind of come about and how does that look for like, what does that look like for you in your life? Well, so I've done a fair amount of self-work, including some emotional intelligence workshops a few years ago. And that's a saying I picked up during that time. And the way it applies is that, well, it's it's the same as what I just said. My neuroses are not discriminating and they get all over everything. So if my relationship with myself isn't in order, then my relationships with other people are going to be a mess. If my house is a disaster, then probably my car is a disaster. If I'm not organized with my work tasks, I'm probably not organized with my personal tasks. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, and, and conversely, if I'm a really welcoming, friendly person in one area in, in my personal life, then that's probably how I am in my work life too. It doesn't just apply to the negative things. Right. Humans are consistent and we don't pick and choose where where we're strong and where we have growth opportunities. Those are just kind of across the board. Right. Yeah, that's really true. And I think the whole you know process of becoming just self-aware of those things. Like once you kind of name it and own it and you know you're able to work through it, you can sit in it and it just kind of moves along in a much, you know, smoother way than just shutting it off completely. <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. I I used to be really, really good at siloing things off and dividing them up. But the thing about negative emotions and negative experiences is they're, they're a toxic poison and they'll seep out, they'll find a way to get out no matter how much you try to close them off. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm stuffing my face with (laughs) chocolate bars wondering what's going on oh right last week someone someone stole one of my ideas and I didn't stand up for myself that's what this is about right like they these things find a way and so if we're not dealing with them head on we're gonna deal with them in some form at some point in our life yeah that's really great that's really great advice actually that it's it's gonna show up at some point somewhere somehow Either either in the form of a chocolate bar or a, whatever a bottle of wine, <laughs> yeah, or like a blow up at your kids or your yeah. husband, yeah, or or you know a missed deadline at work because you're just so stressed and you can't figure out why. You know how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if there's a little pocket of yourself that's holding on to something painful, that's going to get everywhere. All right. So Anne, I'm curious how you draw inspiration, where that comes from in your creative, amazing writing that you do on your blog that is so full of advice and ideas and dreams and I mean, everything, the whole gamut. For me, I'm not entirely sure that inspiration is even a conscious thing. Like I said before about my blog, just being an outlet for me to explore and share about whatever is on my mind or whatever is interesting me in a particular moment. 
the blog is very much that. It's if I have a, a project I'm working on for an interior design client, then that's what I'm going to be talking about most often. And I'm going to be sharing resources and, and ideas and mood boards for that. If I've just finished doing an entertaining shoot for something, then I'm going to be talking about that. It's, it's very much just a reflection of my life and what's going on in it. And the one, the one area of my blog that I would love to be doing more of, but I tell myself I don't have time. And really it's probably more fear and perfectionism than a lack of time is that personal writing that I occasionally do. I would love to be doing that all the time, but it's scary. You know, it's scary to put myself out there in a, in a more unfiltered raw way and open up to, I don't think I would get much criticism because my blog readers are all very, mm-hmm. but I guess when you're a perfectionist, the criticism comes from yourself. So, And does that get easier, do you think, as you kind of put yourself out there more and more? Or is it still the same kind of dredge of... Mm. <laughs> Hard uh, question. <laughs> yeah, I think it's gotten easier yet. And I look at also writers who I look up to, like Anne Lamott is a really great example. She's a writer who has written a lot about the process of writing. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's won huge awards and is a best-selling author and is incredibly wise. But on her Twitter feed, she still talks about the painfulness of sitting down to to write and getting what she calls the shitty first draft. Uh (laughs) Everyone, you got to start somewhere, right? (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately. And for me, I want to start with perfect. So (laughs) I know. Oh, (laughs) Okay, so I want our listeners to hear this story if they haven't um, discovered it already. But your your hot Vegas couple joke that you that you that you and your husband have because I, not knowing you, but knowing you through our talk, when I read that, I thought this is one girl I would love to be friends with. I mean, that is the most hysterical little joke y'all have. It's really, really clever and witty. But anyway, can you tell? Kind of just give us a little snippet. Yes, of course. Well, I should preface it with saying that our shared sense of humor is the one thing that has always drawn my husband and me together. And we were friends for years before we started dating. And it was that sense of humor, just like really quirky and absurd and strange inside jokes. So this is an example of one of them. Early in our relationship, we we took our first ever trip to Vegas together. And we were sitting by the pool and there was a family in the pool playing and the mom and dad were just these perfect physical specimens, not in a way that looked fake or, you know, plastic surgery or anything. You could just tell that they were, they were people who took really good care of themselves. And it was especially impressive because they had three young children, probably under all under the age of 10 and they were playing with their kids and throwing them in the water. And, you know, the, the dad had like a six pack and the mom had just <laughs> faintest hint of a six pack. So she wasn't one of these gross muscle ladies. She was just, (laughs) so Ivan and I called them hot Vegas couple. And now years later, they're still basically our life goals. (laughs) If we're, if we're asking ourselves, well, what, what would hot Vegas couple do? Would hot Vegas couple go get in and out right now? No, they would meal prep for the week and they would make a responsible choice. And it's not always easy being hot Vegas couple. I'm but sure. It, it sounds very, like a lot of pressure. <laughs> but then, I mean, they have so much fun. Hot Vegas couple has so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> They're now your yardstick, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you, we have not hit hot Vegas couple status. We well, you never probably- know because you're, you, you seem like you also are very hard on yourself. So maybe you might, you and your husband might be, but you just don't know it yet. Yeah, it is entirely possible. I will say as much as I love him, he has not hit hot Vegas couple <laughs> status. So there's a good chance that I haven't as well because we eat the same things. So (laughs) really funny. I just laughed and laughed and I thought, I mean, I was like going through my head of, I mean, I wonder if they really do that. Like they're in the car and they're thinking I'm hungry for lunch. Should we go have a salad or should should we go have (laughs) In-N-Out? 
Usually funny. when we refer to them now, it is more as a joke, but... <laughs> Well, that's pretty funny. Okay, I'm going to ask you one last question, and this is related not to design, but if you can somehow, what is your idea of perfect design happiness? Perfect design happiness? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say that perfect design happiness is when you're standing in your house and you look around and there's not a single thing you would want to change, but there's also not a single thing that you would be upset if you did change it. And the reason I say that is because for me, I think design is, it's an, it's an evolving process. And I'm someone who's always moving things around and taking things to goodwill and bringing in new things. And that for me is part of the fun. So I never want to reach a point with my house where it doesn't change and evolve. But I also love being in a place where it just feels like I've arrived and I don't have to make any changes if I don't want to. So I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, perfect design happiness is the same as perfect life happiness where you're just in the moment and you're really content with how things are, but you're also ready for whatever changes might come your way. I like that. As you're talking, I thought just perfect contentment. Yeah. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that. Okay. Well, Tedra, I'm going to pass it to you to ask Anne or ask everyone questions. Yeah. Before I do that, I have one follow-up. I was just curious, like, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? Like, what are your dreams or your goals? That's the worst possible question to ask. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> because I ask, I ask myself that all the time and I don't yeah. have and that's really scary. It's scary not to know where you're going to be or where you even want to be. So I think I have some more abstract goals. I know for sure in five years, I want to be a mom. In five years, I would love either to own a house or be in a position to own a house. Certainly living in LA, that feels very, very far off right now. And I would love to have reached a point where I've done a bit more traveling you guys mentioned my travel anxiety and that's still very real for me, but I never want to let it stop me from seeing other parts of the world because I think that that enriches, uh, you know, my perspective and my outlook so much. So yeah. house is travel. Those are great. Those are great goals. You cut the dream on the horizon. I like it. What is one or two great tips you could share with our listeners? It could be about interior. It could be just about life. My best interiors tip that I always tell people is that your biggest asset is patience. And a really well-lived and well-loved interior comes together over time. And so I I always, I, I get so bummed when I see people just like, you know, go to a big box furniture store and buy their whole house in one go, because that's the fastest way to make a house that just has no personality. So, you know, even at a, at a nuts and bolts level, there's some really great custom design out there that isn't unaffordable. And that takes patience and time for something beautifully crafted to come together. So if you just from the outset accept that it's going to be a process for your space to come together, then you're miles ahead. So if I called you at 9 a.m. on any given day, what are you most likely doing? At 9 a.m., I'm most likely on the computer getting a sense for emails and what the day entails. What is something people would be really surprised to know about you? I think that people would be surprised to know that I love reading romance novels, the kind you buy at the grocery store that have the busty lady falling out of her dress. (laughs) That is surprising. (laughs) I grew up, my mom read those when I grew up and I I actually went to a book signing this weekend in Dallas and... I hadn't been in a bookstore in a long time. And I just remember I had this vision of like my mom dragging me and my two sisters to, you know, the bookstore and the mall when we were growing up to buy like, you know, 10, 12 of those books at a time. Well, I mean, the thing about those books is that they represent half of all fiction sold. Wow. Uh And I even, as one of my creative writing projects, I wrote the first 10,000 words of one. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is nice. Well, um, I think they do, like, they suck you in. And the truth is, I mean, how many women read 
Fifty Shades of Grey. It's the oh, yeah. exact same thing, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, people own that, no problem. I've learned a lot about the Napoleonic Wars from those books. <laughs> True. Hey, you can pick up a lot of good things from all sorts of books. How do you like to decompress? Well, reading trashy romance novels, but also my biggest... <laughs> My biggest and most consistent way that I decompress is with exercise. I love a good soul cycle class. I love doing a Pilates class. It's also a way that my husband and I connect. We love going to workout classes together. So that's one of the few times where my phone is just not even near me and I'm completely disconnected. So who are three people you'd love to follow on Instagram? Oh boy. Okay. So there is an account called Mouth Breather. And Mouth Breather just posts the weirdest video content from the 80s and 90s. But sometimes he also edits it to contemporary hip hop music. So it'll be like strange 80s aerobics done to Drake. And that, it cracks me up every time. Then also on the topic of 80s and 90s, there's a feed called Neon Talk. And that one is old videos from the 80s and 90s, but also photos of old products and old rooms. And to me, it's interesting just like from a cultural anthropology point of view, but sometimes it's hilarious to you know remember, oh my gosh, light bright. I, I was obsessed with that. So that's a really fun one. And then the th- Third one is Dr. Pimple Popper. I'm a total sucker for most <laughs> pimple popping videos. That's awesome. Yeah, I caught a couple episodes of that show. It's like you want to look away, but you just can't. So Okay, so excluding social media, do you have a favorite app? Well, for work and productivity, I really love the the Google Suite. So Google Drive. Mm-hmm and Google Docs, and actually do all of my mood boards and design boards in Google Presentation, which is the slideshow app. So that's really useful, especially if you want to be able to share and collaborate with other people. But then also, I've been using, for my daily meditation, I've been using an app. It's literally just called Meditation. And it's really hand. Oh, meditation timer. That's what it's called. It's really handy to be able to kind of customize your own meditations with uh, tones to signal the start and end that sound like you're in a Zen Buddhist monastery. And it's a lot more pleasant than just using the timer app on your phone. So name a book you currently cannot put down. Right now I'm reading a book called City of Women, and it's an historical fiction book that takes place in Berlin during World War II. And I won't say too much about it because it's just one to like check out and read yourself. But the basic premise is with so many men away fighting the war, Berlin was very much just a, a city of women and it explores the dynamics between them all and, and what was happening in Berlin at that time. It's fascinating. Describe your perfect day. Okay, perfect day is waking up and going to a workout with my husband and then going to brunch afterwards, someplace with really, really good potatoes because that's the most important part of brunch. And then going window shopping together, maybe hitting a movie, but definitely being home early enough that we can just sit on the couch and do nothing for the rest of the day. What's your beverage of choice in the morning and also at night? So in the morning, we drink Stumptown coffee. We are very loyal to Stumptown beans. And we have an automatic pour-over maker, which is the best of both worlds. That We get like the taste of the pour-over, but we don't have to be doing it ourselves. Highly what, recommend. What unit is that? What machine? It's, it, the company is called Brim, and they're kind of newish. I did some work for them. And usually when I get product for a blog shoot, I... I pass it along to someone else because we already had a pour over coffee maker. We were using a manual one, but in this case, the product was so amazing. There was no way I was going to give it up. And so it's been our coffee maker ever since. My go-to drink in the evening is some type of herbal tea. I have a huge tea collection. It's really bad 
Ivan kills me every time I buy a new box of tea. But my favorite is probably one called Toasty Apple, and it's got chunks of dried apple in it, and it tastes like dessert apple pie in a glass. What city has you shedding a tear when you have to leave? Definitely. I always feel super sad when I leave Toronto because I think of it as my hometown. It's where my parents still live. Even right now with the weather in LA getting a little brisk, I'm super, super nostalgic for Toronto and autumn on the East Coast. And I can't wait to go home for the holidays. I just love it there. What's your current Netflix edition? Okay, so this weekend I plowed through an entire series called Bodyguard. And true to my love of BBC shows, it is indeed a British crime show. But, oh my gosh, it's so, so good. It's about a former British soldier who becomes a police officer and then gets wrapped up in an assassination plot. And it was the most watched BBC drama in the UK this year. And so Netflix picked it up and it's so gripping. Plus, if you're into Game of Thrones, it has Rob Stark from Game of Thrones as the lead. And he's a major hunk. Yeah, I was so bummed when he died. I was like, what? Yeah. Okay, so what was the name of that show again? Because I'm going to text my aunt right after this. She is a huge British. When you were saying all that about the British TV, the crime, that's her, her number one thing. So I'm going to send it to her. Called Bodyguard. And I think it has only five episodes, but they're long episodes. And now I think there's rumblings of doing a second season next year. Okay, so do you have a song on repeat? I do not have a song on... Actually, <laughs> this is maybe a little geeky, but... The song on repeat in my head right now is Box Invention number 14. I started taking piano lessons at the beginning of the year, and that's the song I've been working on all fall. So I've been listening to it a lot as well. And it's it's really, really catchy because there's all this counterpoint going on, and it just satisfies the mathematical side of my brain so much. So yeah, I would say that Box Invention 14 is my song on repeat right now. Do you have any favorite beauty products that we'd find in your bag at all times? Ooh, beauty products. I'm sort of bad in that I get ADD with beauty products and I'm always trying to switch it up and try new things, which I was told is the fastest way to have bad skin because your skin just gets really confused. So lately I've been doing my best to stick exclusively to True Botanicals, which is an all natural line comprised of lots of you know, essential oils and super potent natural ingredients. And I have to say my skin is loving it. Who would you like to have a cup of coffee with? Who would I like to have a cup of coffee with? I think that I would love to have a cup of coffee with my grandma who passed away a few years ago. Because there's all these questions that I have now as I'm getting older that I never got to ask her about everything from, you know, what she was thinking about as she was raising my dad and and, my bro- and his brothers, but also just what she thought about current and political events at the time that she was growing up. You know, I see my dad talking to his dad now and asking him all these questions, and I'm so glad he's doing it because I think that a lot of the time we don't realize the conversations we have, we want to have until after it's too late. What meal would you choose as your last meal? Definitely ice cream. As many flavors as I could fit into the bowl. Definitely cookies and cream and cookie dough need to be two of the flavors, preferably with hot fudge and Reese's peanut butter cups on top. Okay. And then what, like what's one food that would never touch your lips? Oh, any kind of shellfish. It's just like eating boogers. I can't, I can't handle it. <laughs> What's the best gift you've ever received? The best gift I've ever received? Well, my cats were a birthday gift for my 27th birthday. And without a doubt, they are my favorite thing ever in the history of the world. They're furry and they have so much personality. And I... I love getting up in the morning before everyone else is awake and it's just the two of them and me and I brush them and they talk to me and they're little meows. So not only are they just perfect and magic in every way, but they've 
been a birthday gift that is given and given and given unconditionally. What's the best gift you've ever given? Oh boy. I have to say I'm really, really good at gifts. So this is a very hard question to answer because I've given some really, really good gifts in my day. But probably the best one I've ever given was in high school when I was trying to win back my ex-boyfriend. He had broken up with me and I was like determined to get him back and his birthday was coming up. So I got a couple disposable cameras and I made a sign that said, happy birthday, Jamie. And I took it around to all of his friends and like old teachers from middle school. And I think I probably got something like 50 people to hold the sign. And then I took pictures of them. And then I made an album out of it. And that was the birthday gift. And I will say it worked. Oh, that's great. (laughs) What's the last thing you Googled? Ooh, that's a great question. Let me find out for you. I always love when people can like look it up and be like, oh, um, how to plug in my audio or like to... Actually, it it was Bodyguard Netflix because I wanted to find out who all the cast members were. Oh, nice. That's, that's how I found out that it was Rob Stark playing the lead because he looks so totally different than Rob Stark in Game of Thrones. And so it was like this happy surprise of, ooh, bonus, that's Rob Stark. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? When I was about to go away to college... I was working at Starbucks and one of my coworkers told me it's okay not to like it. And for me, that felt really, really huge because growing up, whenever I was unhappy or unsettled or didn't like something, the message that I got from my family for better or for worse was pull up your bootstraps and deal with it. And so for someone to say to me, you know, it's okay. If you don't like it, it's okay to change your mind. No one had ever said that to me before. And it was like this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And so now if I find myself trying to, to force something that isn't a fit, you know, if I find myself trying to put a square peg in a round hole, I just remember that advice. It's, it's okay. If it doesn't work, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. Doesn't mean I have to keep trying to make it work. It's okay. So, Anne, tell us, where do we find you online and what's your social media handles? Yes. So my blog website is just my name, firstnamelastname.com, annsage.com. Very easy to remember. And then all of my social handles are citysage, C-I-T-Y-S-A-G-E. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Anne, for coming on the show today. It's been great getting to know you just a little bit. We appreciate your time and um, being on the show. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, take care. Bye, Anne. Okay, Julie. So really enjoyed that chat with Anne. So now let's do a little host to host between you and I. So tell me, like, what's your favorite online boutique or online shop for resourcing home or furniture items? Well, it's probably not new to most people, but I love ABC is kind of my go-to for all things gifts. Oh, ABC Home in New York? Is that what you're saying? Uh-huh. Yep. That's, oh, what, yeah. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Just for gifts and homeware, I love their dishes. I think they have a beautiful selection oh, of glassware. Their bedding, their bedding is beautiful. They're, they have an amazing furniture department, but I just, I need to touch and feel and sit and lie or whatever. Okay. Let me ask you a question. If you were going to buy a sofa tomorrow and you have only the spaces and stores available in Austin, wh- I mean, where would you go? In Austin, where would I buy one or would I buy one online? Well, I mean, like, let's say you see something you love online, but you just said like, you want to be able to touch it and sit on it. Cause that's important to know, like, is this comfortable? Well, or- I mean, I love Wildflower. They have the most comfortable, beautiful couches Mm -hmm. right here in Austin. Yeah. Okay. Well, Tedra, what about you? Do you have a favorite online shop that is kind of your go-to? Well, I don't know if I'd call it my go-to, but definitely I always check out if I'm looking for something for the home is Schoolhouse. It used to be known like a Schoolhouse Electric, but now they sort of expanded into all areas outside of lighting. And so now it's just Schoolhouse, but it is such great items. Just simple. Some of it's kind of a throwback retro, but then some of it's just really clean and modern. And I just, I love it. So if you haven't heard of ABC Home or Schoolhouse Electric, they're good resources to check out. 
We want to thank you for listening today. And if you like the show, we would love for you to head over to iTunes and give us a positive review. Okay, guys, I'm going to stop for just a second and just point out those reviews really help us. So if you would take two seconds on your iPhone app, if you're on an iPhone user, and you can just scroll right down, click write a review and do it. It helps us a lot. It helps people find the show and it lets us know what you're thinking about it. So anyway, you can find us on wegettoknow.com where you can sign up for our newsletter and we're on social media at We Get To Know. Head over to Instagram. We would love to hear from you and get your opinions on guests and show ideas. Our music is provided by the talented Blake Atwell of Studio 1916. Until next time, take care as we continue to get to know all of our favorite people. Today on the podcast, oops. So today on the podcast, we were chatting with Ann Sage. Ann graduated from Stanford and after... <laughs> Do you have a good recommendation that you shop at online? Yes, Tedra. I have the best recommendation, one that probably no one has ever heard of. Have you ever heard of what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> You're no, from like everyone has heard of it. Oh, no one knows this. No one. Oh, this is my secret. Stay away. <laughs> <laughs>